The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Often say for you to hear other voices who are who are qualified to preach the word of God, uh, to hear the word of God from them. Uh, in late March, I think we I think we decided that time frame this week. Late March, as we were planning out Revelation, I asked Brian if he'd be willing to preach on a church in the, the seven, and he chose Sardis. So starting in chapter three is where we'll be today. Uh, but I want you to know, many of you have never heard him talk further than what he does on Sunday morning, and and uh, so I pray today you're blessed. And uh, he said at 45 minutes, uh, you can raise your hand because we've averaged, the average sermon at Tower View Baptist Church is 45 minutes. So Brian, no pressure. I'm just kidding you. <laughs> you can go as long as you need to, brother, Would you bless us. Thank you, brother. And uh, can I pray for him one more time? And uh, let's bow, let's pray specifically for Brian. Father, thank you so much for our brother. Lord, life often hands us ups and downs through many things. And so, Lord, as Brian comes, as we all do, to bring the Word of God, to hear the Word of God, uh, whatever we bring in today, Lord, we need your grace. So would you grace your brother, our brother, Lord, with the words that we need to hear, whether they be challenge or comfort or somewhere in between. May your spirit speak through him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Darren. Well, it is wonderful. It is a joy to bring God's word to you. And uh, most of you that know me know I love the old dead guys, John Calvin being one of them. And he said, I have never once been afraid of the devil, but my hands tremble every time I enter the pulpit. Uh, This is a serious and sobering thing, but also a blessed thing. When we read from the scriptures, God is speaking. And we're going to read from Revelation. Sorry, I've got a little feedback going on there. Um, Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's stand for the reading of God's word as you are able, and if you are not, that is okay. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading from the ESV as we usually do here. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write... The words of him who has the seven spirits of God, or the sevenfold spirit of God, some translations read, and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it. And repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers or overcomes will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a tough letter. Let's go before the Lord one more time. 
Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I pray that as these difficult words fall on our ears, that we would hear them well by your grace and that we would not hear uh, with trepidation, but hear with conviction that is given with love and never without hope. Lord, please speak through your word. Help me get out of the way. Let Jesus be exalted. I pray in his name. Amen. You all may have a seat. Those of you that have either small children right now or had small children who are now grown or you have teenagers, whatever the case may be, when they're in the street and there's a car coming, how do you warn them? You holler at them. I just say, hey, Zeke, would you get out of the street, please? Zeke, get out of the street. So there's the difference. Why am I warning my son? Because I'm mad at him? Of course not. It's because I love him and I don't want him to get hurt. So keep that in mind as, as we go through this passage that is very difficult. It's a warning. But it's a warning with love. So Sardis, um, if we could put the map up, please, Amy. Sardis, we've been looking at this map, obviously. Sardis is number five um, in modern-day, just below modern-day Turkey, or in modern-day Turkey, I can't remember. Um, But number five there, a good bit away from the Aegean Sea. Sardis was a city that was built way up on a mountain behind a big wall. It's actually just ruins now. There's nobody staying there anymore. But this was once a super stronghold city. And in 546 BC, it was led by a man named Croesus of Lydia. He was the king. And he was suffering some defeats from the Persian Empire. So he pulls back into Sardis and he thinks, y'all ain't getting in here now. There's no way. It's got this steep mountain, which is really hard to get an army up and really, really hard or impossible to get horses or camels up the hill. And then even if you get up the hill, you have a giant wall. So Cyrus the Great was leading Persia at the time. They're trying to figure out how in the world do we get in this city? I got to have this city. So a Persian scout is there spying and sees a Sardinian sentry on the wall drop his helmet, of all things. He goes down the wall, gets his helmet, and goes back up the mountain and up the wall a secret way. And he does not know the Persian scout is there. So the Persian scout goes and gets some more scouts in the middle of the night, takes that secret path, goes down, opens the gate, and lets the Persian army in. And that city was taken over in 546 B.C. Wild of all things that could happen. A dude drops his helmet and the city is taken over. What's the application for us? We can think we're fine. We can think we're even untouchable. But the spiritual reality is, is unless Jesus is guarding us and we are surrendered to him, we are not untouchable. We are vulnerable. In our own strength, we're not just vulnerable. It's impossible to walk after Jesus. So this letter begins to the angel in the church of Sardis. We talked about this before. The word angels, the Greek word angelos, just means messenger. Um, is this the lead pastor? 
Is this uh, an actual messenger that went to the church? Not sure. But in either case, let's say it's a lead pastor. He says, he starts out, and the Spirit of the Lord, excuse me, the words of him who has the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit of God. What in the world does that mean? Well, there's a helpful citation to this. Um, referring in Isaiah 11, verse 2, um, this is referring to Christ. Um, 700 years before Jesus lived, Isaiah is prophesying this. So what are the seven spirits here? Now let Isaiah 11, 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and of might, spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. There is seven right there. What is that saying here? The words of him who has the seven spirits. Jesus has the fullness of God because he is God, God the Son. This is referring to who he is. God in all his fullness is Jesus Christ. And the seven stars. Well, what's that? We've talked before, stars often refer to angels. And the number seven in Hebrew thought, in Hebrew numerology, refers to completion, perfection, fullness. Jesus has the fullness of the angelic host under his authority. All of this is to say, Jesus is God. He's the king of kings. He says to them, I know your works. You have the reputation that you are alive, but you're dead. That word reputation there in Greek is the Greek word for name. And the King James actually translates it that way. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. This is the first letter that we have encountered that does not start with a commendation. You see in other, all the other letters, Jesus is like, you're doing this well, but I have this against you. And there's only been one letter so far where he does not give them any sort of, I have this against you. But this one starts right with what he has against them. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Our outside reputation before God means nothing because he sees what's really there. You can have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You can claim the name of Christian to yourself, but have no fruit or evidence in your life that the name matches reality in your life. And again, that's hard to hear, but Jesus warns because he loves, which leads me to the big idea, and Amy will put this up. Our sermon big idea is Jesus wants your life to have the reality of following him, not merely the reputation. Jesus wants and died for your name to be in the book of life, not just on the church roll. So as a result of this very difficult diagnosis, this difficult warning, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead, he gives five instructions. Number one, wake up. He contrasts waking up with being dead. So it's basically like a spiritual sleep, not soul sleep. That's a whole different uh, discussion for another time. But you can have a place in your life of spiritual sleep where you're just not paying attention. You're just coasting along. You're on autopilot. 
And this brings to mind Ephesians 5.14. Therefore, it says, Wake up, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This also brings to mind uh, Pilgrim's Progress, where Christian and hopeful are walking through, and they come to what's called the enchanted grounds, and it lulls them to sleep. Whether you are someone who is genuinely following Christ or you're struggling wherever you are, think about the ten virgins. It's God showing us his strength. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, to quote the King James. Um, But wherever you are in your spiritual life, you have the possibility of falling asleep spiritually. You can be way up the mountain and walking with Jesus well, or you can be really struggling with besetting sins or wherever, and you can fall asleep spiritually. It is possible. It does not mean you're horrible. It means you're human, still made in the image of God. No matter what role you play, you can be at that point. But Christian and Hopeful fell asleep in the enchanted grounds and woke up in the castle of giant despair. So what do you do when you wake up? Well, again, Jesus gives this instruction, wake up. And we have this word in Isaiah 52, which leads into the second instruction, strengthen what it remains and is about to die. I will say that again for you, those of you who are taking notes. Here's what Isaiah says in 50, Isaiah 52, verses 1 through 2. Awake, awake, wake up. There's the first instruction. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. That beautiful garment, by the way, that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not my works, not my goodness, his grace, his holiness, his righteousness. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. This is sin we're talking about waking up from. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck. O captive daughter of Zion, be seated, O Jerusalem. Why do you sit down? You sit down because you're done working. The work is done by Christ. It's not done by us. Instruction number two. Again, instruction number one is wake up. Instruction number two, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Here's the wonderful thing. There's hope right there. Even when you're complacent, You have something real in there if you're genuinely trusting Christ, even if you have been wandering for years. Jesus is not going to let you keep wandering because he said, I'm not going to lose any of the ones the Father has given me. And if you're a whosoever, you can believe. And you're called. Believe. Come back. And we'll talk about that again later. All right. Number one. Wake up. Number two, strengthen what remains. Number three, remember. This calls back to Revelation 2, 5. Remember the letter to Ephesus? What does he tell them to remember? Remember from where you've fallen. That applies here too. Jesus says, remember what, you've, uh, what you have heard and what you have received. There's a passage in Jeremiah 2, verses 1 through 8 where God says he remembers and is calling his people to remember. The context of this, remember, is before and during the exile into Babylon around 597 to 586 B.C. 
Here's what Jeremiah says. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I remember, this is God speaking, I remember the devotion of your youth. Those of you who have put your trust in Christ, do you remember when you first did? When you first came to the place where you realized you had a sin problem that you could not solve? And instead of a holy God pouring out his wrath on you and me, he pours it out on his son. That first realization where you're like, Jesus, I'm yours. Where you first believe. God remembers that too. I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Verse 3, Jeremiah 2, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. That was Egypt for 400 years. God did not let them get away. He poured judgment on Egypt for what they did to his people. Verse 4, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. And all the clans of Israel, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? God's calling them to remember, just as Jesus does the Sardis church. Remember, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. Nobody's saying, where's the Lord? People are forgetting. God's saying, remember. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 2, And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. There's Israel going after other gods. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit, things that are useless. This is such a forgetting that even the priests who are supposed to know the law of Moses forgot who God is and forgot to say, where is the Lord? Hey, we need to seek you. Remember that verse in Psalm 27? When you said to me, seek my face, I said, your face, Lord, will I seek. The priests forgot. Down to the people who are supposed to remember most, they forgot. And God is saying, remember. Now, the context here, we are not back in 6th, 5th century Babylon. Israel had rebelled, and God calls them to remember how he brought them out of Egypt. But what's the principal application for us? Remember how Jesus died to deliver us from sin and to take away our sin. That spiritual Egypt of being dead in trespasses and sins. He did not die so we could keep going back to our sin. Now there is grace. Hear that. There is grace. We're going to talk more about that going forward. But... The grace is not to keep sinning so grace could increase. Remember Romans 6.1? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? May it never be. All right. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. I forgot. Remember. 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 <laughs> See? 
That's how easy it is to forget. Whether you're the worship pastor with ADHD or you're just trying to follow Jesus. That's why he tells us to remember, because it's easy to forget. Number four, keep guard, hold fast what you remember. Tells them to keep it, keep it. This is a callback to Revelation 1. Remember the blessing in there? Blessed are those who hear the words of this book and keep them. And again, to keep means to guard, to protect, to hold close, and take heed to what you're holding on to. You take action. I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm 119.11. That's treasuring. That's a hold fast. And as I hold fast, I take action. I don't just call it to mind and stop there. I call it to mind and then I act on what I've called to mind. Keep what you remember. Number five, repent. This should bring to mind several verses probably, but one that I often think of is in the book of Luke when Jesus is saying, he's talking about the Tower of Siloam. Like, do you think that the ones that the Tower of Siloam fell on were worse sinners than anybody else? What does he say? No, I tell you no. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. What's he doing there? He's saying, don't worry about whether or not that guy or that gal over there is having X, Y, or Z issue. What about you? Let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord, Lamentations 3. What about me? Am I looking, am I examining my ways? 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Am I examining myself more than I'm examining the next guy? If I'm not, I am playing a very dangerous game with idolatry and I need to stop. Repent. A little bit of a word breakdown. I'm an etymology nerd, so I've got to do this. Whenever you see the word re, and this is not going to be surprising, it's a Latin prefix that means again. Repent comes from re Pensare. Pensare means to think. So repensare, to think again. And then this is also points to uh, the Greek word metanoia means to change your mind or you change your thoughts. Think again. This calls to Matthew 21, 28. The two sons told to go work in the vineyard. One, God says, go work in the vineyard and I don't know what this dude's deal was, but he said, I will not. How, how do you say to the master of the house, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me. But later, he thinks again. He changes his mind, and he goes and works. And the other responds by saying, I go, sir. And then he doesn't go. Which one obeyed? You can have somebody that on the face says, I'm not going to do what God says. But, and then maybe they'll say it to your face as you're evangelizing. But then later they'll come to you, I couldn't get what you said out of my head. You're sharing the gospel with me, and I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I realized I was a sinner. I had to go to Christ. There's the difference. And it's also a difference of you can pray the prayer like we've had in evangelical circles, but nothing changes. We're going to talk more about that here in a second. Matthew 7, 
talks about this too. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So what repentance looks like is you hear and you think again. I was going one way, now I'm going another. We're going to talk about this in a second, but does that obedience gain you merit or salvation? No. We're going to talk about that. You've got to remember Galatians, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. You can't obey. You can't perfectly obey. And either you have to perfectly obey every single thing, cursed is the one who does not do all of these things written in the law to perform them, or you have to have a substitute. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ because we failed at the law. Now, obedience does not bring salvation. However, obedience reveals, or often does reveal, that genuine salvation has taken place. When God does a heart change on us, when we're born again, we're different. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are gone away. Behold, new things have come. And another thing about repentance, keep this in mind, you do not repent of sin just to start, to cross the starting line of the marathon of the Christian life. There's your running reference, Pastor Darren. (laughs) You don't just start with repentance. It continues your entire journey here because there's going to be things, Hebrews 12.1 We were just in the book of Hebrews not too long ago. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us. It takes endurance. Repentance doesn't just begin. It happens all the way through because I'm going to keep discovering things. After those five instructions, remember. Here I am saying, remember. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember. Then hold fast to what you remember and repent. And then there is honestly this very difficult warning from Jesus. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you do not know at what hour I will come against you. Not just I will come, I will come against you. This is a warning for if you're, getting, if you're hearing this and you decide you're not going to do anything. I don't need to do anything. I do not need to look at X, Y, or Z sin. I do not need to examine myself. I am doing fine. At that point, Jesus does not come in grace. He comes in judgment. Now, you have to go on a long time. We're going to talk about this in a second because the Lord is so gracious and slow to anger. But there is a point at which the patience runs out. But again, if you're wondering, is it yet? I'm going to get to this in a few minutes. No, the patience has not run out. Are you here? Are you breathing? There's hope. Now, this should call to mind also the parable of the ten virgins. 
They all were virgins. They were all claiming to follow the Lord of the house, to follow Christ. Five were wise and five were foolish. They all had lamps, but five of them took extra oil. Oil is often a picture in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit. So to really walk this Christian life, we have to do so by the Spirit. We're not doing so by our own strength. But they all fell asleep. There's the command, wake up. And then the wise ones trimmed their lamps and lit the lamps up. The others were like, give us oil. We need need what you have in God. We, We can't give it out. We won't have any for ourselves. Go buy some. They go back, but while they're gone, the bridegroom comes, and they're shut out. This is that I never knew you warning in Matthew 7, which still terrifies me, even though I know I have put my trust in Christ and he has saved me. If, if anything, I'm afraid for someone who would walk along and not take heed to how they're walking. They had a name that they were alive. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many mighty works? And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What a terrible finality. I don't want to be there. I don't think any of you want to be there. That's why we can't just rely on, I'm a Christian. I prayed that prayer. I go to church. I do this. I do that. No, it's not enough. I don't want to just have the name. I want to have the reality that I'm alive. So what does the opposite of this look like? Jesus says, you have a few names in Sardis. Wherever you go, even if you go to a city where they're super liberal with their philosophies, they're buying into all of the hot button things today, you know, transgenderism, homosexuality, things like that, in a place where it's just rampant, everywhere it seems these days, there's going to be, God's going to have some people there. He's going to have a remnant, even if it's small. You have a few names in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. What does that mean? It means they're separate from the world. Now, we can't go out of the world. We are here in the world, but Scripture calls us to be not of the world despite being here. That should also call to mind James 1.27. True religion before God the Father is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress, and what's the second thing? To keep yourself unstained from the world. Don't soil your garments. What's the second thing? First, the opposite looks like you're separate from the world. You haven't soiled your garments. The second thing, they will walk in Jesus, with Jesus in white. Now, the word there is not just a bleached sheet It's leukos, which means light, brilliance, which should call to mind again 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This we told you as we told you before, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 1 John 1, 7, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the interesting thing is that um, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, it doesn't say we have fellowship with him. That's a given. It says we have fellowship with one another. And so what the Lord's saying right there through the Apostle John is don't live in isolation. Walk with your brothers and sisters. And if they are lovingly warning you, holding you accountable, don't run. I used to do that. That was actually one of the reasons I wanted to preach this letter so bad is because it's really personal for me. For years as a teenager and then as a young adult, I named the name of Christ to myself, but the fruit did not look very good. And sometimes I wonder if it was even existent. I have to wonder if I was one of the ones that had a name that I was alive, but I was dead. I would not, um, I, I hesitate somewhat because obviously I see that there was some evidence the Lord was working, but I would not be too terribly bothered to say that I was possibly a false convert for quite a while. So one, they have not soiled their garments. Two, they walk with Jesus in white. That's purity. Number three, this is a wild one. Jesus calls them worthy. They'll walk with me in white for they are worthy. Wait a minute. I thought we weren't worthy. You're right, we're not. What's he talking about here? Uh, This is one of the places where Matthew Henry, my favorite Bible commentator, a.k.a. also an old dead guy, um, is really helpful. The worth he's talking about is a gospel worth, not a merit worth. You didn't earn this worth. Jesus died and cleanses you from sin and imputes his righteous credits, his righteousness to you because all of your sin is credited to him. In that state of all his righteousness accredited to you by faith as a gift by his grace, that's the kind of worth he's talking about, which should bring to mind also Ephesians 4.1. Ephesians 1 through 3 is all of the stuff that's true of you because you're putting your trust in Christ. And then Ephesians 4 through 6, starting with 4, is how you live as a result of Jesus already being your Savior. You've already put your trust in Christ. You're in Christ already. Not to get there, you're already there. So, Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So this worth that he's talking about here, it's a result And it's in light of what is already true for you if you're trusting in Jesus. According to all the stuff he said in Ephesians 1 through 3. So again, what does the opposite look like? Don't soil your garments. Walk in two. Walk with Jesus in white. Walk in purity. And it's not in your own strength. Keep that in mind. It's only by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, by his strength. You don't do it in your own strength. You can't. I can't. Number three, Jesus calls them worthy. Not because of what they've done, but because of what he's done. Now, the last section are the promises for all who overcome. Here's the thing. 
Jesus does not leave even the dead church in Sardis without hope. Number one, the one who overcomes, whoever is in Sardis hearing this, maybe they've been straying for a while. Maybe you've been straying for a while. This is for you. There is hope for you. Number one, they will be clothed in white garments. So this is obviously in one case a point to purity. We'll walk in purity. But also, this should point to in Greek, uh, ancient Greek culture, there's what was called the stola garment. This is a garment that was given to an adopted son or daughter. Um, it was a garment of honor. It's basically welcome to the family. We're honoring and celebrating you today. If you overcome, and only in Christ can we overcome, that's what's waiting for you and for me. Number two, oh, excuse me, number one, the promise overcome will be clothed in white garments. Number two, your name is secure in the book of life. People ask, you know, can you know that you're saved? Can you have assurance? Yes, you can. Jesus said it. Your name, and remember, this is important, and it's kind of scary, scary even for me. Your name can be written in the church role, but not in the book of life. That's not what we want. The ones who overcome or conquer, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. I'm giving a little bit away for Revelation 7. They never have their names blotted out of the book of life. Exodus 32 is a really helpful reference to the book of life. It's the idea of going on in your sin. Hebrews 10.26, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no more remains sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire which will devour the adversaries. I memorized that verse because it scared me to death. Because I'm like, oh no, is that me? Have I done that? Well, there's hope coming. Keep listening. Number one, they'll be clothed in white garments. Number two, their name is secure in the Lamb's book of life. And keep in mind, no one will snatch them out of his hand. If you're in Christ, you cannot and you will not lose your salvation. Would anybody be willing or ready to say that Jesus fails at saving people? No. I will not say that because he does not fail. He is God in human flesh. Number three, Jesus confesses your name. Jesus himself confesses your name before his Father and his angels. There is no greater honor in heaven or on earth than to be acknowledged by the creator, Jesus, the Son of God. Because remember, Scripture reveals that God creates the world through his Son, Jesus Christ. And here he is acknowledging whoever overcomes. That is amazing. What a promise. And again, he just finished saying, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. But guess what? If you overcome, there's the hope. Wherever you've been wandering, you can come back. And finally, he gives a charge for all. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This should bring to mind Mark 4 and Luke 18. So Mark 4, 23 through 25, Jesus says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And he, verse 24 of Mark 4, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Luke 18, or Luke 8, 18 words it this way, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. What does that mean? If all you have is a name that you're alive, but you're dead, if you claim I'm a Christian, and yet there's no evidence in your life, I say this with grace, not with a pointing finger, then even what you think you have will be taken away on the day of judgment. And Jesus is warning lovingly, so that doesn't happen. Because if you have that genuine faith in Christ, more will be given. More grace, just grace upon grace, the riches of grace in Christ. So he warns, he who has an ear, let him hear. And take care how we hear and what we hear. We're listening here. Finally, how do we conclude and how do we take action as a result? Now what? This is a scary letter. This is an uncomfortable letter. And if you're cut to the quick, like in Acts 2, men and brothers, what are we going to do? Is there hope if you've wandered astray? I have this in all caps in my notes. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. No matter where you've been, there's hope. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. You know what? Every passage in Scripture is my favorite. I don't know why I even say that. Joel 2, 12 through 13. Remember, Joel is uh, prophesying at the same time as Isaiah, and that is a time at which the northern kingdom, the nation of Israel or Samaria, was carried away into exile in the nation of Assyria because they just never turned back to the Lord. But even Judah began to have that issue of walking away from the Lord. And there was a lot of harsh, difficult language given even prior to this scripture I'm about to read to you. God's warning, again, with love, judgment is coming if you do not wake up. However, three of my favorite words in the whole Bible, yet, even, now. It is not too late. You're sitting here, you're breathing. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook later, it's not too late. God himself, through the prophet Joel, says, Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. To rend means to tear. And that was an outward show of mourning or sadness to tear your garments. But he's saying, don't, don't just have the outward action. Don't just have a name that you're alive. Have the reality. Let your heart be broken. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. If you've been wondering, guess what? God's still slow to anger. 
A good friend of mine, when I was struggling with assurance for years, he used to say to me, the last time I checked, Psalm 103 is still in the Bible. And I'm thinking particularly of the verse where God says, he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. This should also call to mind Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus is still calling you to come to him. If you've been wandering for a while, he still says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burdened. Weary with what? Trying to be good enough to earn salvation. Heavy burdened with what? Your sin. Psalm 38, 4. My sins, my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. So come to Christ. He will give you rest. Micah 7, 18, my final scripture reference. God delights in mercy and loving kindness. Okay, one more thing I'm thinking of, Ezekiel. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Contrast that with what does he delight in? He wants to show you mercy. He loves to do it. He delights to show mercy. So if you're wondering, if you've had just a name that you're alive, but you're dead, if you're struggling, come to Christ. You can come talk to Pastor Darren, myself, or Pastor Nelson, We are happy to sit with you, to counsel with you, whatever the case may be. But ultimately, we can't save you. But Jesus can, and he wants to. Remember the leper? Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He's a leper. He's not even supposed to be there. But what does Jesus say? I want to. If you've been wandering, he wants to. He will receive you. That's that promise in John. Whoever comes to me, I will never turn away, even if you've had a name that you're alive, but you've been dead. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And in light of what we have read, I pray that we would take action. I pray that we would remember. I pray that we would wake up, that we would strengthen what remains, and that we would keep what we remember, and that we would repent, knowing that it's not over and there's still hope, because we're still breathing. Let that day not come without us examining our ways and testing them and returning to you. For you, who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity, and is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and delights to be merciful. Lord, thank you so much for this church, these people here. Let your blessing be on them. Lord, we love you, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together for our...